All right, everybody, welcome back to a, another episode of Tailgates and Heartbreaks presented by Section 513. This is episode number 17. Um, I'm your host, uh, Geezer, with co-host uh, Donnie and our producer slash stats guy, Tito. How are we doing on this beautiful Monday? Boys, I'm doing great. It's great to hear and see your faces. Had a great weekend. Um, I don't know. I sent out the snap. Uh, I went. I did so bad in gambling that I decided to go on a diet. So hopefully that um, that's going to get us back on track here. Uh, I had eggs and broccoli for breakfast. So I'm surprised. Like I thought I was going to like just combust and explode if you had that like healthy meal in you. But uh, I'm here. I'm fine. I'm excited to talk about uh, – we got a lot of shit to talk about, boys. So I'm excited. Yeah. We got a, a jam-packed episode uh, this uh, to start today, so let's get right into it. Um, over the weekend, uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit of Reds baseball first. Um, so over the weekend, there were um, rumors swirling around that Luis Castillo was in was being dangled in a possible trade with the New York Yankees. Now I didn't get to see like a lot of like Twitter stuff about it because I had work in basketball this weekend, but I kind of got caught up on it uh, yesterday. Some dude who speaks Spanish or whatever was basically saying like Luis Castillo had been traded and it was agreed upon basically, and like they had figured out like who was going where. Um, this did not come from uh, Ken Rosenthal. Or I guess in in Jeff Passan. Those are the two Jeff guys. Jeff Passan actually like torched this guy. He's like, why would you listen yeah. to someone that's always wrong? And I felt bad because like I don't know who the other guy was, but you know, Jeff, I could see I, him like definitely. Th- th- it was very. Jeff Passan is this this Jeff Passan has the tailgates and heartbreaks stamp of approval. He's our baseball guy. I like Jeff Passan, but um, he was like. This guy always gets shit wrong, <laughs> and this poor guy, I bet he was so excited because, like, you, the the talks were, like, in the final stages. Um, I don't know how actually close it was to, like, pen paper, but definitely there was interest from both sides. Um, this guy was on the story, and I think he kind of, like, put it out there. He's like, oh, it's it's going to happen. It's, like, finalized. Obviously, it's yeah. not. He looks like an idiot. Um, he's being torched, but this poor guy, yeah. like, yeah, like you said, he was just tweeting Spanish and shit. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I wish so, I could understand what he was saying, but <laughs> yeah, I know it was a, it was a wild Twitter thread to, to go through and try and, yeah. you know, unpack all the information. But so then today, um, we kind of find out a little bit more about what was going on. In fact, the Reds and Yankees did talk, um, but basically talks went nowhere because the Reds were like, Hey, yeah, we'll trade Luis Castillo to you. We want Glaber Torres. It's kind of a win-win for both teams in a way because if you're the Reds, aside from getting rid of La Pedra, you're you know you're getting your shortstop answered right there, and then potentially you have the ability to find uh, another spot for maybe Jose Garcia or, or whatever it might have been. Doesn't matter, but you would have had the shortstop uh, problem figured out. Um, but uh, and then Nick Kroll today also said they are not trading Luis Castillo. All those rumors are completely false. Which, which, um, by the way, let, let, I don't is, believe which that. Is, and I don't, I don't believe, believe that, and that's not a bad thing that the Reds yeah, are. I don't the Reds should always listen to offers. When we're yeah. they're in a position they are right now, 
they're kind of halfway in, halfway out. Like they went all in last year. We found no success with that. Now we we're losing Bauer, we're losing Discofani, and we could blow it up and and get all these prospects. And I think we should actually be listening to every one of those talks from every single team, uh, just to see what what's out there. Um, I don't buy Nick Kroll saying, oh, he's you know he's gonna say that obviously like he's our guy. We love Luis and I love Luis. Um, but no, the, it, it was in the works. Uh, the Yankees decided that uh, giving up uh, Torres. Um, it's not worth it. I kind of, you know, I know Tito, you said you agree. Like it, it's not a good move for them. Um, I don't know. I, more, I, yeah. I mean, I just don't see like, I guess the, the reds, it doesn't hurt, you know? So the point that I was making is that uh, there's apparently been some reports that the, uh, luxury taxes will be gone by 2022. The new collective bargaining agreement is going to get rid of it. So that was like the soft cap that was kind of keeping, uh, the Yankees from being able to spend even more money than the ridiculous amount that's already on their payroll. But so they've got uh, Labor Torres has three years of arbitration left uh, after 2021. So, I mean, the Reds could get away with keeping him around for that long. But on their end, it's like, why would you trade out? Why would you trade someone that has three years of arbitration left for a top line starting pitcher when they will be able to go sign a start, top line starting pitcher and keep him without that luxury tax and, penalty in 2020. Here's the thing, though. Like, the thing that, like, people fail to re- realize this, like, Luis Castillo was also in that same boat where he is under club control for three more years. Three years, yeah. Arbitration, like, and all that yeah. stuff. No, so, I like, know. I just don't see why you would give up Labor Torres when they'll be able to go sign a Luis Castillo-type guy. And I mean, they Labor just Torres. signed Garrett Cole. <laughs> and yeah. they just... And they'll they be able to do that. And they, did, they took and a they favor did. on Kluber... Who yeah. obviously I think Kluber's best days are over, but you know that's a, still a good signing. Um, I, I actually I wanted the Reds to get Kluber um, as like a like a seven million dollar like just a waiver and just see what what Derek Johnson can do. The w- Yankees can just throw I think they threw like sixteen million dollars at him and said you know if you work you work it it's great if it, if you don't work guess what like we just shit money out so fuck the Yankees dude. See. So like the thing is with all this stuff is like I, you know, I um I understand like being a team in the media market that the Reds are is you know, like you are gonna face these challenges where like you are gonna maybe have to explore the idea of flipping guys who are at their peak or going to hit their peak soon to get a lot of trade value and get a bunch of prospects. But the problem is, like the Reds have in 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 a similar way like the Bengals. They have completely effed up the rebuild, like terribly. Like the return they got on Johnny Cueto was awful a couple of years ago. The return they got on Aroldis Chapman was awful a couple of years ago. Aroldis Chapman ended up fetching the Yankees Glaber Torres. So it's like one of those things where it's like, how are you guys missing on so many of these things where you've shown the ability to do the whole flipping thing correctly where you traded Alfredo Simon for Suarez. And like the idea of them trading Suarez is one thing. Like my biggest thing is, is like if you're, if your whole rebuild was centered around going for it for one year. Now, granted the pandemic has hurt a bunch of revenue and it's going to hurt these teams who are in these markets more than the bigger market teams. 
But the problem is, is everybody else in the NL Central is offloading everything. Like, look at the Cubs. The Cubs are aren't bringing back Kyle Schwarber. They lost John Lester. They're active. They're potentially shopping Chris Bryant. The Cardinals are. I mean, the Cardinals were a decent team last year. Um, but like, they're, they're not making. Any- I, I part of me thinks. Well, I mean, they they're kind of young. Part of me thinks that was a flash in the pan. They they have way too much stock in Jack Flaherty right now for me to believe that that rotation is good enough to be like you know a contending rotation. Okay, but, but so but the, the, the point still point stands. Is, yeah. My point is, is it's it's piss or get off the pot. Yeah. Like right now, you have the ability with the pieces you have on the roster to take the NL Central this year. Yeah. Now, whether or not you're just We're trying to win the favorites. NL Central. We're favorites yeah. right now. So, so that's my thing. Whether or not you're trying just to straight up win the NL Central is one thing. Obviously, you want to try and win a World Series, and they're not making any moves right now, like at all. Like they're just not. It's just one of those things where it's like if, if – I'm more excited, and I think the Bengals' future is brighter than the Reds' future because the Reds are just sitting there not doing anything, and they they don't seem like they have a direction. Like, you mean to tell me the salary dump of Rysel Iglesias for $9 million a year when you really got nothing back in return, but then what, what, was, like, what was the point of trading for Archie Bradley then in, at the trade deadline to throw him for five and two-thirds of an innings and then not pay him Six million or five point uh it was five point two five million dollars when he signs a contract with the Phillies for one year six million. Like what's the point? Like what are you doing? Like what you are need they doing? To make, yeah, like you need to figure it out and go from there. Like so, so and and my thing is if they're gonna go ahead and listen to talks and and get really close to finalizing deals, we trade Castillo, boom, rebuild. Over. We don't have any pitchers. We just got rid of our bullpen. Obviously, we have Amir Garrett and Lorenzen. Lorenzen's going to have to start now. Um, dude, if we trade Castillo, it's over. Get rid of everyone. Fire sale. And it's just so aggravating because, like, the hardest part of any rebuild in the MLB is getting a solid starting rotation, and they had that. They had Like, that. <laughs> they did the hardest part right, and they just couldn't they, get it over the have, finish line. That was the only time in our lifetime, which, granted, it's 23 years— that was the only time in our lifetime the Reds have had competent pitching. Like, pitching – I mean, you could argue, I guess, the when Homer and they had Bronson and um, uh, Cueto, that team – yeah, the Lato. pitching was – yeah, late Like, that little stretch run, they had pitching there. Yeah, true. I kind of forgot. But So, yeah, I guess you could say. But last year's – I mean, with um, Bauer, Gray, and Castillo, that, I mean, that was the best, in my opinion, the best lineup in baseball. Yeah. And here's That's the thing too, and here's the thing too, and, and we're gonna have to wrap up this this you know this segment. Um, you know the biggest thing is if the Reds hit maybe like 20 points better batting average wise, they probably you know win a couple more games and potentially maybe beat the Braves in that series because like the Braves obviously went on to you know make it to the the NLCS, but they were basically they were an inning away Reds. from making yeah, the World Series. Yeah, like the like. The Reds could have taken that series very easily with the way they pitched, but they just could not hit. And I think that. So, and- so last thing before we move on, because we've been talking about the Reds for a while. We knew we were going to do this. Um, they are banking on the guys like Moustakis and Castellanos and um, Senzel and Winker. I mean, Winker was good last year, but like they're banking on guys raising their averages and they're not going to bat 220 again, right? 
But then, okay, we have the best pitching and not the worst batting. It, we're not going to find equilibrium because now we don't have the pitching. So, and we're getting rid of our still, bullpen. Like, so what are we going to do? Are, we don't, we, we want to save a little are. money by not signing Archie Bradley and Iglesias. Okay, what's our plan now? What's our I mean, plan they still now? Have, they still have pieces in the starting rotation right now. Like, as, like you have, yeah, like but, you have but, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray. Uh, you got Tyler Malley who but pitched Malley's really on well. A deal, so it's like if he goes out and has a good season, is he coming back? I'm pretty right. sure, like on, he, like I think he's like our, like I think arbitration in the arbitration in the MLB is so confusing. But like, I, regardless, whatever, like you still have Tyler Malley, and I'm sure you can sign him to a like I think he's better than Scofani, and you could sign him next year to a club friendly deal and be done with it. And plus, you had the. Uh, Surgeons of you know TJ Antone, who you can yeah. basically pick your poison. All right, you're putting him in your starting rotation, and if you don't, all right, shit. Well, he's in your bullpen and he's lights out in the bullpen either way. And I, I think, just feel like the Reds are I, settling. We're, we're settling. Yeah, and, and like, I think they're just gonna try and stand pat and and see what happens. But like my thing is, is all this all they need to do, all they need to do, if they go out and sign Marcus Simeon to a like a one year deal or something like that. Everybody in the city's back, like back in, but yeah. everybody else, right? Everybody in the city right now is just like. I would argue that even signing DD and like maybe a bullpen yeah. guy, something, it would, yeah, something. Yeah. It's just what the hell is going on? It's going to be an interesting. What do we got? Like 70 days left until the season uh, pitchers and catchers report. It'll be interesting to see what the Reds yeah. actually end up doing. So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a weird optimistic time. I feel like at least for I I have a weird optimism about this offense and that like they were able. I know that the stat sucks because of what our offense ended up looking like, but the fact that we had more walks than singles, like if you put power numbers behind that, that's a good offense. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get there. That was All good right, Red so, Sox. That was like the first time we've ever talked yeah. to Reds on this podcast, and be expecting that a lot because the season obviously is um, coming up. So. All right, so let's move into um, – let's go to the uh, – talk. let's talk pigskin a little bit. Um, so obviously last week we talked about uh, Marcus Freeman uh, taking the uh, Notre Dame defensive coordinator job. And, you know, we are a week later, week and a half later, the uh, Bearcats still do not have uh, a defensive coordinator officially named. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily worried about it. Um, if I'm being quite honest with you, I trust Luke Fickle to make the decision that is not only best for him and his program, but for the team. Um, so, you know, the name that I've heard is uh, Chris Ash. He was co-defensive uh, coordinators with him uh, at Ohio State. He was the head coach at Rutgers for a little bit, and he was the defensive coordinator previously at Texas. And he's still technically the defensive coordinator there, but it just I would assume uh, Sarkeesian's going to bring in his guy to be the defensive coordinator. Um, and so – and then there's the idea of, like, in-house um, – potentially just promoting within house. And then I've also seen uh, or I've heard of potentially bringing Mike Mickens back to Cincinnati to become the defensive coordinator. But I just don't know if he'll end up leaving Notre Dame, uh, you know, now that Marcus Freeman's there. So I mean, I'm not too worried about it. I, like I said, you know, and plus like at the end of the day, Fickle's a defensive minded guy. I mean, that's the side of the ball that he played at or played on. And he's coached the majority of his career at, so I'm not necessarily too worried about what happens because they have so much talent on that side of the ball that whoever comes in is going to be successful. I agree. So do you think there's any chance that, that UC goes out and gets Pruitt? 
I fucking hope not. I, I really? wouldn't touch that. I, see, I don't you think hope I would, not. I think I, that I, would be a an good coach. slam dunk. I, yes, that would be a slam dunk. I don't I think just it happens because I think he'll, he'll pick up a – I mean, I don't know if he can go back to – see, I think Tennessee uh, pulled the plug early. Tennessee is a dumpster fire. Um, I love it. Um be gone too. Yeah. So it's just they're they're a mess. I I had I mean I didn't think I don't think anyone's gonna get Tennessee back to the level that they were in the late nineties. But I think Pruitt was a good coach. Uh, that was a good hire hire initially. Um, they they're trying to avoid the NCAA hammer. Um, and obviously and, they've been very and underwhelming. And very so underwhelming last and, year. And and that's why I say I wouldn't want him because. He is involved in some capacity. Okay, yeah. So you're scared within okay. the program, and that's like the furthest thing from what like Luke Fickle has yeah. seemingly built in Cincinnati. Like it's high character. Okay. That's fair. You know, that's fair. Okay. I mean, that that's my thing. He, like I would rather. About, it's not that Pruitt. Like I don't think that the stain on Pruitt is that he was clearly paying guys to go to UT because everybody in the SEC does that. And I'm sure Luke Fickle has done uh, that. Everyone too. in college football. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's that he, he was hiring people that didn't know how to do it. And, and, yeah. and kind of, and also too, like if we're going to like go like hire someone that kind of has like a little bit, you know, little murky waters in their, in their past, there's a better chance that like, if Mike Dembrock leaves to be the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt, that Luke Fickle would bring in Tom Herman to be the offensive coordinator here because of the Buckeye connection. Like, there's no connection to Pruitt. That's why I don't see it happening. Whereas there's a there's a connection with, you know, like there is like Fickle keeps it kind of like Midwest Ohio, like whoever he's been in contact with. So that's why I think, you know, there's a better chance that Herman comes here compared to Pruitt. Uh, can we just fire Denbrock and bring in Herman? <laughs> I would love I, that. I I've like got a little uh, a little nugget for you that might be interesting. I think that there's a small chance that this could be what Luke Fickle's doing if we see him go into next week uh, without you know really having uh, without hearing some rumors of some more of him bringing guys in for interviews. So the uh, NCAA recruiting contact period started on the 15th and it ends on the 30th. I think that there's a decent chance that he's using this as an audition for some of those in-house guys on defense to see how they're able to recruit guys during this contact period, and then he'll make a decision after that. So I think if you see him kind of lean in towards the last week of January without bringing anyone in uh, for an interview, I think that there's a good chance that you're going to see him promote from within. And and quite honestly, like – like that's you know that's obviously a good little nugget here um for everybody to think about i i'm fine with that like i love that idea and there are people in house that he really thinks highly of so you know they're kind of in this where i don't think they can go wrong unless they you know what i mean like i just don't see them like messing this up colossally in it derailing the program i just don't think they're in that that state so um that's pro- that's going to wrap up the uh, bearcat football talk talking uh, defensive coordinator position. Uh, we will kick it to Tito for an ad read, and then when we come back, we are going to uh, recap the weekend. All right, guys. So do you enjoy listening to tailgates and heartbreaks? And you should check out section513.com. Section 513 is Cincinnati's newest sports blog, featuring some writing from all your favorite personalities from tailgates and heartbreaks. 
And uh, you can get our takes on just about anything, Cincinnati or otherwise. Donovan's got some great UK blogs going up for all of the UK basketball fans out there. He's also got a new podcast, The Daily Don. Uh, it's coming out almost daily, so make sure you check out that too. We got a lot of good stuff coming out of Section 513. Don't stop recording this ad. Breaking news, like right now from uh, Pete Thamel. Sources, Cincinnati is expected to hire Mike Tressel as the school's next defensive coordinator. He's a longtime Michigan State assistant and the school's former D.C. under Mark D'Antonio. Luke Fickle and Tressel were on staff at Ohio State together in the early 2000s. Well, so there's that. <laughs> well, I'm glad we uh, we, saved the, we gave our uh, predictions and then left field. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Like, I mean, I, I got on Twitter like – Three minutes ago, it was, it was official. So where do you see wow. that? Who tweeted that? Uh, Pete Thamel and like Pete Thamel was like tight with like Fickle and like within the program. So like he was like the first to say Fickle's coming back or like not leaving to go to Michigan State. And then I'm pretty sure he was the first one to uh, announce uh, Freeman leaving for Notre Dame. Good catch, geese. Yeah, so I was sorry. actually on I was on Twitter too, and I was just looking at memes. I don't know if we were able to get that ad read in, in time. I think we did. I know I kind of was like stop. I was like, well, let me just let me just round it out right here. That's section 513.com. Section 513.com. We'll see you <laughs> on the other side. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Uh, that was incredible timing on our part to nail the. Uh, Breaking news that Cincinnati had actually hired their defensive coordinator was just very on brand for the three just, of us. Just like we drew it up, baby. Exactly. Um, so we're going to start uh, this segment with uh, – we're going to recap uh, this weekend's uh, divisional round games uh, in the NFL. So on Saturday we had um, the uh, Green Bay Packers uh, pretty much handling the Los Angeles Rams. Um, I think the final score was what? 32 to 18 or something like that. Um, not entirely sure. Rogers was Rogers. Um, and then we had a kind of a low scoring affair in Buffalo, uh, but Buffalo no ended up beating <laughs> uh, Buffalo, Buffalo ended up beating uh, the Ravens 17 to three. And then uh, on Sunday we had the Chiefs kind of outlasting the Browns in a way if you think yeah. about it. Like things kind of got a little murky there when uh, Patty Mahomes got hurt. Um, and uh, Chad Henney came in and just tried to not colossally fuck up and and just kind of become a game manager for the Chiefs. Um, that final was 22 to 17. And then the final game uh, yesterday was the Buccaneers getting the best of the New Orleans Saints in the third matchup uh, with a final score of 30 to 20. And uh, more importantly, it was. Uh, Future Hall of Famer, without a doubt, uh, Drew Brees' final game of his career, which for me is where I want to start. Um, that was very hard to watch uh, because I've always loved Drew Brees. I love, you know, undersized quarterback slinging around the field. Um, obviously, you know, he's going to go down in the top five of almost all sorts of passing categories. Um, you just felt like he was really hoping to get that second Super Bowl like I'm like anybody would you know like you're always trying to win the Super Bowl but you know 
it just felt like the past couple years, like just everything, like how we, how we talked about Donnie, how they've lost in these playoff games, uh, to see him like kind of sputter out just because of like the lack of the arm strength. It just wasn't there. You know, it just, it was a very shitty way to see uh, his career end. Um, you know, a guy like Peyton Manning who went out on a high note winning a Super Bowl, like it's just two totally different ends of the spectrum and how you want your, you know, your final season to go. Um, but I can guarantee you Drew Brees will probably be in a broadcast booth next year. Absolutely. He, he's going to be awesome. I can't wait to listen to him talk. Uh, I'm sure his – I'm going to like him more than Romo for sure. I think Romo is super annoying in the booth. <laughs> like. Okay, not- that's that was uh, my next topic. So uh, real quick on Drew Brees, I think he's arguably maybe my favorite quarterback, like non-Bengal quarterback of all time. Um, like you said, undersized. Love watching him perform. Um. I will say this is like I don't know if it's political. The slander that he gets for being like a, a racist and stuff is absolutely undeserving, and that kind of makes me sick seeing that on Twitter. Um, like in that moment, I was kind of not upset. Like he had a great career, everything. Um, seeing people tweet like, "Oh, now that you know he can retire with all of you know Trumpists, get the fuck out of here." You know, Drew Brees is a great guy. He's proven that off the field. Um, that made me mad. So, sorry, that was a little tangent. But Drew Brees, no. greatest of all time, um, arguably. Uh, Tom Brady <laughs> just keeps chugging along. <laughs> like, yeah. And, 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 and are, yeah, Tom Brady is – Tom Brady is almost like uh, like he's he's Thanos. He's just – he. it's like when he says, I am inevitable. Like, yeah, Tom Brady, like wherever he goes – He's been in 14 conference yeah. championship games so out, of, this, out of the 21 years he's been in the NFL. The next closest little, in history is seven with Montana. So, Yeah, three little Tom Brady nuggets that after that game. You're right. It just does seem that he's inevitable. He now has 32 playoff wins. That ties the San Francisco 49ers franchise, and he's only behind four franchises, number one being the New England Patriots at 37. If he were to finish his career with two Super Bowls, he would go out as being tied with the New England Patriots for the most playoff wins of all time by a franchise. Um, he is now 14-2 and two in the divisional round of the playoffs. He's played an entire NFL season of divisional playoff games and went 14-2. and two. <laughs> uh, And the number three being, yeah, so he's played in 13. This will be 14 uh, conference championship games, and his record in those games is 9-4. and four. So if, you know, if you take Tom Brady in the uh, championship round or the divisional round and say that was a season, the I mean, obviously making the playoffs would be 14 and two and on track to make the playoffs at nine and four. I just you can't you can't like say anything about him anymore. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. And, you know, the, the the crazy thing is, is it's kind of different. It's it's you look at like how Breeze has aged and Brady has aged. Brady can still sling the football, and people were doubting his ability to potentially go into this Bruce Arians offense where you're asked to throw the deep ball. And it's also very ironic that after the bye week, they've kind of tailored the offense a little bit more to Brady's style of play action, still taking deep shots, and the Bucs have looked like a completely different team. A completely different team. Here's another little thing that I thought reminded me a lot of New England, Tom Brady. In that game on the last drive when they needed to just pick up two first downs to run out the clock, he threw two completions to receivers for first downs that hadn't had a target yet in that game. 
Like, that is an offense that is absolutely peaking at the right time. And I feel like that's something that you would hear about Tom Brady in New England. And I just think that that, like, I know it's, you know, it just seems like a little nugget, but it's just part of the puzzle that I think is shaping up to be, like, that. I'm very excited to watch that game next week. Yeah, yeah so obviously you have the NFC Championship game being the uh, Packers and Bucks in Lambeau. Uh, it's right now forecasted to be uh, a snow game. So that is going to be, uh, that'll be interesting. That's going to be a great game to watch. And then you flip it to the AFC. The matchup that I wanted personally is Bills and Chiefs. I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is going to be ready to go. And if he's not, that obviously changes the, the dynamics of the game. His, but, uh, his injury has been re-diagnosed as a tweaked nerve in his neck. It's no longer a concussion. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I figured we'd just throw that in there. Okay. Yeah, so. Uh, I will say anything is possible. <laughs> My new favorite yeah. slogan. <laughs> that guy, yeah, so. though. Let's, let's talk about the Browns-Chiefs game. Dude, I thought Cleveland was about to, to do it. Like, Every, the whole fourth quarter, it was just leaning towards, like, this is it. The, the Browns are actually going to do it. Patrick Mahomes goes down. You have Henny uh, coming in, trying to be a game manager, throwing balls 15 feet in front of the wide receiver and having the DB catch it like a punt. Um, it was like everything was on them. And then they punt with, what, like four minutes left? Um, to give the, yeah, give the ball back to, to Chad Henny. Um Andy Reid dropped his nuts all over the city of Cleveland. Um, you know, was, wasn't going to give the Browns a chance to come back. So this is the point I want to make, though. You saw this playoffs, more than anything, the uh, conservative play calling at the end of the game. You saw it with Tennessee Vrabel punting from, like, the 45 down to Baltimore. Uh, Tomlin punting down uh, to Cleveland when they had all the momentum. It was, like, fourth and one. And now Stefanski, um, you're down. It's you know a trip to the AFC Championship, and you're punting down with four minutes to go. Even if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, I think Stefanski had the best. Uh, you know, the, I don't necessarily think it was a bad move. I just think it was it was definitely. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I mean, so I wasn't able to watch like the fourth quarter because I was uh, I had basketball like all Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, I don't know this. I, I, you know, the scenario. Like, I think if, you know, if I was watching, I'd feel a little bit differently about it. But, I mean, what was the downage again? Did you say what the downage was when they punted? Uh, it, like, it was, it was pretty lengthy. It was definitely like fourth okay. round. So, like, I think in that scenario, like, you know, I think so. Like, let's say like you go for it and you end up holding the Chiefs to a field goal you get the ball back and you just have to score and get a two point conversion. It's a tie game. Whereas you're then putting all of the fate in the world um, on your defense, which the Browns defense hasn't necessarily been like great by any standards this year. Um, but they still have, you know, talent on the defense where like you would maybe hope that, you know, you can get a stop or I don't know. I'm all for going for it on fourth down, but it's just gotta be the right scenario. And I think if you're kind of pinned back closer to you know, if, if it's more towards midfield, it's one thing. But I think when you, you're like, you know, 20 to 30 yard line ish, I think it's a little bit different. So that's just I, my opinion. I think I think the Browns absolutely did have to punt that ball. But I what the other thing that I saw, like, I mean, everyone was going nuts about 
Andy Reid, like the balls on Andy Reid. Like that play is not like for that offense. I know Chad Henney's playing quarterback, but that's a fourth down that you obviously go for. It's fourth and one, and the other team doesn't have any timeouts. I think there was a minute 10, minute 20, something left on the clock. So you're making Baker Mayfield go the entire length of the field, and a sack basically ends the game. Well, no, they you were get a in, weird play. Well, they were in there. They were on. They were in their territory. Sorry, 50. I'm sorry, 50. Yeah. It was 50 yards. Sorry, I, my bad. He's yeah. got to go. I have no. But the, but I don't. But the other thing is, is like in today's NFL, that little like quick out, like kind of almost like not a bubble screen, but like they ran it almost like a bubble screen where that outside guy was just running his guy or running a DB off. Like that's not, that's just as good as a, as a uh, handoff, you know, as a dive in, in today's well, NFL. So, yeah, so, you know, I'm here for the, all the Andy Reid praise in the world and he deserves all of it. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And because, you know, I hope that this era in, in Kansas city will get him the rings that it takes to be in that, you know, top, top echelon of coaches because he does deserve it. But that call, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, no shit. You're going to put but the ball I think, but... in Tyree Kill, who's the best player on the field at that point's hands. Yeah, I mean, it's a risk going with Chad, or with Chad so, Eddie, but I don't know. So, I'll, real quick, Donnie, it's going to be like a minute. It's actually kind of funny because the Bengals ran a similar play like that against the Browns at home on their fourth and goal play that they had. It was the go-ahead touchdown to Giovanni Bernard where they had him in a pre-snap motion like he was going to the left side, like he was going to go out like a wide receiver, and he quickly cut back and was just a little simple out, like route out in the flat. And that's exactly what it was. And nobody in the NFL is going to be able to you know, stop Tyree Kill when he's basically getting up to 65% full speed. It was just like Chad Henney just has to put the throw like in his hands. He was going to be fine. Like that, that play, like the play call itself is where the NFL is kind of heading direction, like in the direction of maybe not necessarily every fourth and inches, you're not doing a QB sneak, but you know, like the, the ability to use the pre-snap motion and get your speedsters out in the flat is being utilized more so in today's NFL than it has been in, you know, let's say the last five years, like the Packers did it to score a touchdown against the Rams with Devontae Adams on Jalen Ramsey, like, the day before. So that's my two cents on that play. My final thing was going to be when you have Marvin Lewis coaching your team for 15 years, he absolutely would have punted that ball. (laughs) Mojo, (laughs) shut up. Um, Chaos. Uh, So Marvin Lewis would have punted that ball and actually called a timeout for the Browns. So when you have coaching like that for so long that Andy Reid, you know, Doing a play like that is just kind of cool to see. I don't know. Yeah. So, in Saturday, as Tito's talking while he's muted, Saturday was Saturday was like kind of you know chalk for me. Like I expected the Packers to win. Um, I you know all the credit in the world should be thrown out to Jared Goff for playing basically after thumb surgery and with pins in his thumb and still keeping the Rams in you know a chance to win the game if they make a couple plays. And then, obviously, the Bills beat the Ravens. I mean, the Bills, yes, Team of Destiny vibes are just all over the place with them. But I'm telling you what, like, now, the Bengals haven't been able to do anything against the Ravens for, like, the past three years. But, like, the Ravens need to get 
a legitimate wide receiver or somebody for Lamar Jackson because, like, Marquise Brown cannot just be it. Like, Mark Andrews is a tight end. Great to have that tight end there. But, like, if your second-best wide receiver is Willie Sneed, like, that is a problem. And I think they just need to, like, give him a – whether it be signing a free agent in the offseason, just getting him someone that's been proven in the NFL to, like, actually be a legitimate – like wide receiver and not just some speedster like Marquise Brown is, who's also like starting to really like come into his own in the NFL, but they just need somebody else too. And, and, you know, Devin Duvernay, who they drafted last year, they didn't really play him a lot. I like him. He's another like kind of speedster, but he's pretty physical for uh, his build, but they just need somebody else on the edge. They just don't have it. Um, I did have one quick thing. The Browns ran the uh, hook and ladder for the two-point conversion, correct? Or my? Oh no, sorry, that was the Rams. Rams-Packers. We haven't talked about that yet. Never mind. Sorry. Well, you can you can talk about it now because I mean I basically got you know my thoughts in on the weekend. So uh, no, I don't know why I thought that was the Browns, but uh, the Rams hook and ladder in that game. Uh, I do just I Sean McVay was getting all the credit in the world. I want to shout out Chan Gailey, the Dolphins offensive coordinator who ran that play and screwed me gambling earlier in the year against the Patriots. Uh, that was not a Sean McVay play. That was a Chan Gailey play from the Miami Dolphins. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about that game, I thought golf played a lot better than I expected him to, which is – Yeah, definitely. I mean, take that as you will. Um, but, yeah, that was just the better team at – that was hot at the right time uh, that won, you know, that was going to win that game. And I think that that, uh, the whole Devontae Adams puffing his chest to Jalen Ramsey for catching that touchdown, like that touchdown was not on Jalen Ramsey. He had to go across the field. He had a safety and a linebacker lineup wrong uh, that got in his way. And I mean, he immediately, you know, turned around and was on both of those guys. Um, So I don't know. Those were just my two takeaways from the game. Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers, uh, yeah, you know, I, I thought uh, Alan Lazard played a great game. Uh, he's, you know, going to be a guy that has to have those type of games for them to keep humming at this pace because everybody in the world knows that they want to get the ball to Devontae Adams. So, yeah, I mean, that running game, though, with uh, with A.J. Dillon now coming on, being an absolute workhorse, uh, you know, kind of looking a lot like uh, uh, I'm losing the name of Aaron Jones. Um mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it, that's going to be a tough team to stop. I think the Bucks have a tall order in front of them. They're going to need a lot of those kind of funky plays like they got against the Saints turnovers to uh, to be able to win that game. Mm-hmm. And uh, to to tie this all of this in from the weekend into something that uh, as Bengals fans you should kind of be aware of, the four teams still left in the NFL playoffs. Um, according to ESPN stats and information are ranked in the top six in scoring offense this season. Uh, Green Bay averages 31.8 per game. Buffalo averages 31.3. Uh, Tampa Bay averages 30.8 and the chiefs average 30 points per game. And they all ranked in the top five in offensive expected points added per drive. So clearly the blueprint to being a, you know, a, a playoff team, and, you know, how you want to build your team in this day and age, you got to focus on the offense a little bit more so than the defense because you can get away with having a average-esque defense, not saying you have to ignore it completely, but what I'm saying is the blueprint is there. 
as Rex Ryan begrudgingly was forced to admit all day on uh, Sunday countdown on Sunday, good offense beats great defense. Yeah, definitely. So um, I don't know if anybody else has any more thoughts from the weekend. Donnie, do you have anything? Uh, from the games, no. But I want to shout out quickly uh, – me and Steeler Nick watched the uh, the Saturday night games together, and um, we played this fun game where we played a song. Like, the crowd picked the song, and we had to change the lyrics to, like, making fun of – like, he made fun of the Bengals. For me, I made fun of the Steelers. And uh, it got really heated, and obviously you can't see, but I have a, sc- a scar on my nose. Uh, he threw me in a bush. So, quick shout-out to Steeler Nick. Um, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back. We are going to transition to our first ever, like, fun little segment. Obviously, we had, like, the midseason awards for the Bengals. But this one, you're going to get to really see some some of our sports, sports personality. Uh, we're going to do our three favorite Cincinnati uh, sports players of all time, whether it be at the collegiate level, the pro level, whatever. Um, that is what we are going to do today. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a snake draft, so I'm going to go first, then we're going to go to Donnie, Tito, Tito, Donnie, Mimi, Donnie, Tito. For those of you who didn't understand how a snake draft works. Um, so with the my favorite, I'm going to make sure he's off the board, uh, my favorite uh, player of all time, of the Cincinnati Reds, when uh, Sean Casey was here, I had the – I had – Jersey, Jersey, signed baseball in uh, in high school when he was the speaker at the Elder Stag. I was able to interview him, part of the Purple Quill, and being able to like see like your childhood hero like in person, face to face, and just talk with him was by far and away the coolest thing I've ever got to do. Um, so, I mean, the mayor and like his like just like the way he played the game, his personality, like I just loved everything about him. Uh, that is my favorite player of all time reds wise the little fun fact uh my household for the last two years has had a sean casey bobblehead sitting under the tv uh as good luck obviously it didn't bring any good luck but it was more of a cute little uh thing all right so my it, favorite it was there it was there. it was there <laughs> love the mayor it's the thought that counts donnie right uh we love sean casey on this pod uh we also love my favorite Bengal of all time. Number 55, Vontez Perfect. Uh, he was just a class act on and off the field. Never brought anything bad to the organization. Um, Three disturbing the peace charges with the city of Cincinnati, I believe. Uh, maybe punched a couple cops. Maybe he spit on some children. You know what? He was a great guy. He, like Ezer, I had the opportunity of interacting with him. He retweeted me. On Twitter twice, when I told him I named my dog Mojo after him, I my mom said that was racist, so he had to change his name. Um, and uh, he also retweeted me when I brought his jersey. So, uh, Vontez Perfect. There you go. All right. I'm going with, like, kind of a square pick, but you know what? He is just my favorite guy that I've been able to watch wear a Cincinnati jersey in my lifetime, Joey Votto. He's, like... I know that he's had his ups and downs, but I just really appreciate 
you know, a lot of the when the team sucked and some of the stuff that he's still brought to the table, I guess. I love the the detail that he puts into everything. Um, you know, just the the whole like I know it gets so overplayed, but it's like hitting is not a it's not a job for him. It's really just like a passion project. You know, he's mm-hmm. always working on something different. And then uh, you can't beat the little Joey Votto nuggets that are like, he's never popped out to, and well, that's not true anymore, but he had never no, he popped out to yeah. first base. Yeah. Uh, you know, every once in a while you get some uh, baseball stats guru or nerd, however you want to put it, that'll put up a, uh, um, just like a balls and strikes chart for Joey Votto, like what he swung at. And he swings, it, it seems like about seven pitches in every 162 game season that would have be, would have been called balls or should have been called balls. Um, the man's just, I don't know. I, I, I can't get enough of Joey Votto. And I hope yeah. that if the Reds are able to turn this thing around, that he is there for it. Or if they're not, that he is set free from this prison that we call home and can go get a <laughs> ring. He, uh, two things about Votto that I love are the, uh, I love how like his personality has become more and more like apparent. Like it's really like, I think it's really made him, like, I think you're not the only person in Cincinnati that would say, like, they love Joey Votto. You know, like, you love, like, he's kind of like this weird, like, quirky, funny kind of guy. Like, some of the on-field stuff he does. I laugh every time he does something like that. And then it just happens to help that he's, like, a pretty damn good baseball player. Um, and then also the, uh, whenever, uh, like, an umpire, a, uh, umpire calls a ball that, sh- or calls a strike that should have been a ball, I love whenever Twitter just all in unison's like, hey, he knows the strikes him better than you do, bud. If he's not swinging at it, it's not a strike. Yeah. And the fact he does that little nut grab thing, he'll like turn around and grab his nuts because he knows all the fans know what it means. Like it, he's perfect, dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's fun awesome. little fun story about him. Uh, my aunt downtown one time uh, backed into his Porsche. Uh, it was like brand new. Uh, and put a little scratch on it, and he couldn't have been nicer about it, which is impossible not to be a sweetheart to my great aunt because she's one of the nicest people I've ever met. But, um, yeah, I just thought that was a little fun nugget to throw in there for the people. Um, Yeah, so my second one, I'm sticking with the Reds, uh, and it's, you know, purely just because I love people that are able to take uh, not-so-great situations and find – you know, still be able to uh, put a positive spin on things and keep a positive vibe going. Uh, as he would say, positive vibes only. A Eugenio Suarez. Are you just naming uh, the, the entire roster? No, no, no. no. no it, it's great that they're both still on the team right now. But uh, that contract that the Reds have him on right now is a crime against humanity that he doesn't get paid more. Uh, but, you know, it, he's just he's a fun guy. I love seeing him. Uh, you know, his post-game pressers and, you know, just some of the off-the-field stuff, he cracks me up. Uh, and then, you know, that season when he, like, sneaky, either did he lead the NL in homers uh, two years ago? It was, like, damn near close to it. I think it was, like, him and Pete Alonzo were, like, something like that. He had, like, 49. It, yeah. it was just, like, so, like, he was just red hot for a month, and, you know, the Reds really weren't great, and he was just buoying him up, and I love to see guys like that where they're able to He's kind going, of put some of the uh, circumstances of things out of their mind and just go out and, and perform at, at their highest level. He would send baseballs, and he does actually. Like when he hits like 
when he hits homers, he sends balls into orbit. Yeah. And it looks effortless for him. Yeah. Yeah. Effortless. Yeah. One of my favorite Plus, things I mean, is when he gets a hold of one, you just know it from the second. I mean, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. And, and the I'll, other uh, thing with him, too, I'll is... I'll have to throw the clip in. The positive vibes only clip is, like, my favorite Reds gif, or, you know, or little thing to put out uh, that I've ever seen. I yeah, think I my that. favorite thing about him is when he goes, have good day, jean day. Jean day, jean day. Jean day. Yeah. Two two Reds players for Tito. I, I, I can almost guarantee you that that third player is probably not going to be a Bengal. <laughs> We'll have to Am see I? who's still on the board. We'll have to see who's still on the board. Donovan, you're up. Well, I'm about to steal one for you, buddy. Uh, I'm sorry I have to do this to you. Uh, you know, I've never been athletic. I, I've always enjoyed um, guys that, that go on the field and or the court um, and just understand the game. Um, they can close their eyes and see where everyone's, you know, basically play the game blindfolded. Uh, absolute on-court awareness. And that's how I describe – everything I just said would describe uh, Jerron Cumberland. Um, he uh, he never made a mental error, um, whether if it was, um, you know, the uh, final seconds of the game, needed a big play. Or or maybe not the final seconds of the game. Or, if, you know, it's just a start. He wants to just chuck it up. You know what? He knows what he's doing. Uh, I also love guys that shoot their shot. And to be able to go on every girl that on Instagram that's above a six and be like, hey, I play basketball for UK or UC, um, DM me. It's just like, all right. So, strong <laughs> cover. So, Geese, what you got? Well, uh, I a uh, little nugget about Jerome Cumberland. As everyone I'm sure here has, I ran into him at Woody's one time, and I was so drunk that he was standing next to Gary Clark. And uh, some of my buddies were talking to him. I walked up to Gary Clark, said he was the greatest Bearcat of all time, and then acted like I didn't know who Jerron Cumberland was. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm surprised right, he didn't so... send you an Instagram DM like, bro, I'll beat your ass. Bro, bro have you seen my freshman year tape? <laughs> Did you see me light up UCLA in the tournament? Oh, man, I see the route Donnie's going with on this uh, on this one. Um, so, all right, so I got two. I got my last two. Um, uh, so, very tough uh, for the third one. I'm going to have to decide between two who are pretty much neck and neck. Um, I think I'm going to nab this one off the board because I'm surprised he's still here. I, you can't talk about uh, favorite Bengals of all time, Bengals legends, without mentioning uh, number 85, uh, Chad Johnson. His... Well, a.k.a. Well, actually, let's just say this. His diet and his ability to play on his diet is godlike. Just eating McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner and being this insane athlete um, is something I didn't think was possible. And plus two, anything of him mic'd up or any sort of, like, story about him is absolutely hilarious. Like, his... Some of the stuff he did while he was here meant is has meant more to the city than people realize because like the Bengals were terrible, obviously, as we all know the nineties were awful, but there was absolutely nothing exciting about the Bengals. And when he came here and when he started to ball out, that excitement that he brought kind of 
re-energize the fan base and kind of maybe has us to where we are now, sort of, kind of, in a way. Um, but, I mean, he was just electric to watch from his end zone celebrations to actually just his ability to, you know, beat guys right off the jump on the snap was incredible. And yes. plus, the best the best quote from him ever is when he's on the sideline. It, it probably was a preseason game. It might have been just – or, like, the first game of the season. And he's like, I'm cramping. And the docs go, did you take anything today? And he goes, yeah, Viagra. <laughs> like only There's so him. many one-liners he has, dude. My my favorite part about him, actually, is, like, like for anyone that's a Seinfeld fan, the George Costanza quote, it's not a lie if you believe it. Some of the interviews that he has done recently in his post-football life, it's like you we all know that you are lying through your teeth yeah. and you are telling this story like it happened to you yesterday. <laughs> like he he's got just wild stories about like orgies. Like he did a he he's he still says that he did a porn one time, like to this day, <laughs> and like he just can't find it. It's been wiped off the internet. Like, I don't know. He's just he is such a wild character. And he really like I I believe that Chad Johnson believes in his heart of hearts that all those things happened. To him. No, yeah, yeah. And he made the Bengals cool. And uh, death taxes eighty five going to be open. And like whenever like uh like there's like another thing where like Carson like is asking like Hey man, how are they? And Chad just goes, Man, they all suck. It's me. Just give me the ball. <laughs> like and and the thing was too was like everybody like felt like you know he was like kind of like this like superstar like lazy in practice and Carson Palmer's like on record he goes I don't care what he does as long as he shows up to practice and he by far and away practices harder than any player on the team so he had no problem with his antics plus I'm not gonna lie I felt a little nostalgic when like the two of them like got together uh during quarantine during uh the pandemic and everything and Carson's like this just embrace the lifestyle of living in this huge ranch in the middle of Utah. And here comes Chad dressed like he, you know, he's heading, just got out of like the airport at Miami. Like what, what, what is this? He's a, he's a good friend. Uh, if yeah. you haven't, yeah. uh, if you haven't ever done it, treat yourself. If you're a Bengals fan and go watch, uh, the senior year highlights of Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada at Arizona or, at, or, uh, Oregon State. State. Yeah. Oregon um, State. Just, I, like we talk about passing offenses now, and it's crazy how much they look like some of the teams that you see now. So go ahead and treat yourself to that one. Geez, I'm yeah. plugging my death taxes. 85 always going to be open, and Geezer's mic going to hit the shitter in the middle of a podcast. Um, <laughs> and so my last one, this is by far and away the toughest one for me, uh, but it is going to transition to the hardwood. Uh, I'm going to go with Deontay Vaughn and Jason Maxio is like right underneath that for me. Um, but Deontay Vaughn was by far and away my is, and it still is really uh, my favorite UC basketball player ever. Um, when they absolutely sucked under Mick Cronin those first couple years, Deontay Vaughn was the only bright spot on that team. And he was, in my opinion, like the Steph Curry before Steph Curry was really a thing. Like he would just pull up from the middle of nowhere. Like he was kind of like Jimmer Fredette S where he could just pull up and drill a three. Like I remember like my sixth grade year, he had like 34 against Villanova at home. And I think 
75% of his points were off of threes, and he was like 5'9 or something like that. Always had like the super baggy shorts. Now, naturally, that's how fast, that's how the shorts were like in 08, 07, whatever. But I always loved his, the way he played, and my favorite thing he would do, and I think it was the only time Mick was ever really good at like, with offense is he would just have Deontay Vaughn come off the screen at the top of the key and he would shoot a three immediately, like right off the screen. That was like, that is like burned into my brain. Like Deontay Vaughn coming off an off ball screen, catching it and shooting a three. Incredible. So those are my three, Sean Casey, Chad Johnson and Deontay Vaughn. All right. Am I up or Tito? Uh, Donnie, you are up and I'm sure you were about to uh, draft a, just 100% All-American, great guy on and off the field. Uh, well, he, I don't, I think he's a great guy off the field. He wasn't All-American, um, not, but in college, uh, no guy has done less and got more attention than John Ross. And he comes in at my number three. Um, literally can't find the field. Um, and but yet, yet he's in like probably the most talked about Bengal the last three years, I would say. Um. Has done absolutely nothing, and I feel bad because, like, you can see he desperately wants to play, like, going out on social media and talking to, like, people like, this team's a joke, da 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 And then he, he he's so desperate to play, he'll, he'll try out for corner, and then he gets hurt in the first play in practice. Um, you just love his hustle and energy, and uh, he'll go down in the Bengals Hall of Fame and or Ring of Honor, whatever you're going to call it, whenever Mike Brown decides to uh, – to die and someone comparable uh, takes over. There are so few high draft picks like that that I'm not saying busts, but people that are just made of glass. Like that, <laughs> I feel like that doesn't happen very often that you have just a top 10 draft pick in the NFL that literally like to the best of their ability cannot put themselves in a position to play on Sundays. Yeah. And he's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, dude. Uh, yeah. And you said he couldn't see the field. Yeah, it's because he was so fast. He just runs off and on the field. Like yeah. he just he doesn't. It's like Forrest Gump. He just doesn't know how to stop. He's just lightning speed. He just don't. Adidas offering him an island was the worst thing that has ever happened to like the Bengals draft strategy. I shouldn't say we drafted Billy Price, but it's up there. What, no, but I don't think he. I don't think he got the island because whatever he wasn't like with that specific. I, I don't know. Was it Nike or was it Adidas? Now, Adidas offered it to him, but he wore Nikes anyway, I think. So he, yeah, but so that's why, like, they, like, rescinded the offer and gave it, they were, like, gave it technically to, like, the next fastest person who, like, was not, like, nearly fast. Yeah. <laughs> but that, whole, that whole publication just, like, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know Mike what you're Brown saying. I didn't know who John Ross was until Adidas decided to put that out there, and then all of a sudden he was his favorite player in the draft. <laughs> and, like, that was maybe the last pick Mike Brown ever made because, like, Marvin absolutely hated it, and to the point of where like he, he has that play. fumble, he has that fumble, and he goes, "Yeah, you're in timeout the rest of the season. Don't even like, <laughs> yeah. don't even show up. You're not. He's yeah. moving too so fast, he can't carry the ball. The wind, the wind resistance is too much. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so Tito, Tito you're gonna, gonna round finish things up. Yeah, finish it off, I, Tito. Please, I am, please give a good one. I got a lot. Of I am gonna finish with a good one. Uh, well, you, you and, have two. Oh, never mind. One, sorry. Yeah, uh, I'm going with Willie Anderson. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love Willie Anderson. Uh, like 
he's he was like Mr. Consistent for the Bengals for a while on teams that weren't very good. And then, you know, kind of uh, on when he, you know, when the team start moving in the right direction, there he was leading that offensive line. Um, I think that uh, I really like the relationship that him and Marvin Lewis had. I think that's just kind of a cool thing for uh, any team to have where you have a player that just has so much respect for a head coach like that and a head coach that is willing to connect with a player like that. And I'm not going to lie, a big factor of it is I'm probably the only player that did this, but if you played as Willie Anderson in, like, Madden 05, like, it was an automatic pancake. Uh, And little, like, 10-year-old, 9-year-old me thought that was the funniest thing in the world. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Willie Anderson. The best helmet. By far the best helmet in Bengals history. The, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I've got a couple honorable mentions if you guys have any. Yeah, yeah, we can drop some. I'm probably, we're gonna have to uh, potentially push the uh, this Sean Watson talk to. I don't know if we decided that or not for the next episode, but yeah, I can Let's do some. Save honorable it. Mentions. I bet there's gonna be an interesting story to come out probably as soon as we end this podcast. Yeah, after this podcast is going, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so Deshaun Watson, be on the lookout for that talk. Um, I think my only honorable mention is. Probably the most, like, actually really, like, obviously the three players I gave, I do not like. Um, the one guy I really do like is Yancey Gates. And then you throw the fact that he uh, just throws haymakers, that he's an honorable mention. So Are, are we sure he hasn't been, like, uh, on – are we sure he's not on a UFC spite island? Like, are we sure <laughs> this guy doesn't have a career in UFC? Because after that 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 one two punch he threw that left and then the right on Kenny Freeze, I mean I don't know. I feel like he's got a future there. If he hasn't figured it out yet, I think he could get into the whole. I think he plays basketball and and Rome during the day and then fights at night. Even if it's fight not the night. fight night, yeah. it's like the underground like yeah Roman yeah fight club. <laughs> yeah, you ever Definitely. seen Snatch? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah and oh. He's and the guys that are going up against Dancy Gates are like uh, what uh, Dennis and Max tried to do in Always Sunny by sending Charlie in there just to like stay up and not get like beaten in round one. But hey, yeah. just take a beating for us. Just don't get knocked out. Yeah. Those yeah. are the guys Dancy Gates is facing in Rome at, at at one in the morning. Yeah. I've got I got two honorable mentions and I'm not gonna lie I'm not really a particular like you know fan of either of them because of how they played but two of the best nicknames or slogans Isaiah P you just got peed on that was the funniest thing I ever <laughs> just yell at, at UC games uh, and then the law firm Ben Jarvis Green Ellis maybe the best <laughs> nickname in the history of sports the law yeah. firm I forgot about that yeah he was uh. He, he he was incredible, and he I kind of forgot all about him. Dude was like a fossil. And then they yeah. drafted uh they drafted Geo, and then everybody was like, wait, we can have a running back that can run under a sub five forty. <laughs> yeah. He wait, was... what is this? What is this nonsense? Yeah. Uh... Yeah. So my one of my uh uh probably my uh only honorable mention, I guess like Jason Maxia would be on this list. But uh, Marty Gilliard from yes. uh, Cincinnati Football, when they were, you know, when they had that stretch run with Brian Kelly in 08 and 09, Marty Gilliard, I 
always felt like should have either a have gotten a Heisman vote in his senior season in 09. Um, we finished top 10. I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, he was the best wide receiver in, you know, that I've like, I think I've watched the collegiate level at that point in time in my life. And he was electric. Like when, when you're so good at like, especially like kick returns. When I remember in that pit game, when uh, Sean McDonough, it's like, oh, you got to get the angle. Here we go. If he doesn't get the <laughs> angle, he's gone. And the angle's at like the 40-yard line, and the dude didn't get the angle, and Gilliard just coasts in See and it, like completely yeah. flips the game. Like, yeah. And then he had like those like sheet seashells like for like attached to his dreads. Yeah. I mean, dude, he, he was so cool. Sick. And like two like genuinely good guy. Like I remember he like had like a either he caught a touchdown pass or like it was dropped. I forget. In that like, that Halloween game against USF, oh, like trucks the like, kid, trucks this kid in the in, <laughs> like, goes into the stands, like drills this kid. Kid's crying and like Gilliar like takes off his helmet, like make sure he's okay. And I'm pretty sure like the kid got interviewed by Aaron Andrews or something like that, or Aaron Andrews was in the vicinity. I'm like, you lucky bastard. Well, now that, <laughs> and Aaron Andrews that, was like, that kid's obviously grown up now. That's how life works. But like he tweeted yeah. out like. This is me then, and now, like, he was back at Nippert, like, you know, whatever, uh, 15 years later. Uh, that was that was a cool tweet I saw. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great story. I love everything about Marty, um, from his speed to how he just spells the word Marty. Um, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Get out of here with that M-A-R-T-Y crap. Give me M-A-R-D-Y. All we know is Marty, like Marty yeah. Grawl. Yeah. Good, maybe. So – I don't got any more honorable mentions, and I I don't know if we got anything else for this show. Um, Donnie, I don't know if you were. Pl- do you want to talk UK basketball? Or do you want to no, save? No, I think all I'm that- going to save that for a daily dive right. uh, for okay. later this week. All right, so that uh, that should about wrap up this episode of Tailgates and Heartbreaks, presented by Section Five One Three. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, remember to download, rate, and well, I guess, yeah, download, rate, and subscribe, or whatever. Tito knows the actual saying. Um, but you can find us basically <laughs> on any... Leave us a review. We love the reviews. Yeah, send us an email, some... damn it. <laughs> Someone send us something, because we would love to answer a question on the podcast. But I'm sure some people don't get all the way to the end of the episode to hear this portion, so the people who do ride it out the whole way through, leave us a question. Give us something to talk about, all right? Come on now. We're going to get in this dead period where we don't know what we're going to be able to talk about, and we're going to do stupid shit. So why not at least answer questions about stupid shit, okay? Gosh. All right. Go well, off. That's, Go yeah, off. Yeah. I've never heard a podcaster just so pissed off at his listeners. Yeah, fuck you guys for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, thank you guys so much. We love you. Yeah, we, we appreciate uh, the loyal followers that we do have. There is some very exciting stuff coming up for us in the near future, so – if you're not on board with us yet, get on board now because we're going places, all right? So that's going to do it for us today. Uh, this is Geezer signing off. You guys have a great rest of your week.